Part One of Two Cumberland Ballads by John Stagg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Hermit of Rockcliffe, a legendary tale in four cantos. Canto One. The evening lowered. The wind blew hard and furious roared the tide fast homeward to his humble shed the weary ploughman hied and madly esk and eden ran swollen by the falling rain when alfred led fair imogen bewildered o'er the plain on either side a river roared dismayed they walked between for neither to the right nor left one glimpse of light was seen but lost amid surrounding gloom with unknown steps they sped unconscious of the way they went and stupefied with dread at length when sinking with their fears they spied a glimmering light which seemed at no great distance thence and cheered their longing sight young alfred called with all his might the rocks re-echoed round an answering voice returned the call with kind inviting sound twas edmund hermit of the hill in rockcliffe known of yore whose hospitable cottage still received the wandering poor once noted was this holy man for piety and prayer to instruct the blind and aid the weak was his peculiar care the wandering pair pursued the light and soon attained the hill the friendly hermit at his cell received them with good will for them with heaps of added turf he mends his homely fire their sufferings and their wants to soothe appeared his sole desire with frugal but with wholesome food the table soon was spread and whilst they ate their kindly host prepared their humble bed and now refreshed the cheerful group in various converse joined the angry storm that howled without no more the pilgrim's mind the cautious hermit then began to ask the youthful pair by what misfortune or mischance so late they travelled there when thus young alfred soft replied most reverend father wait with patience and the eventful tale to you i will relate since bannockburn's unhappy day the scots but ill at rest of england's weakness well aware the borders sore infest poor cumberland the most exposed has felt in many a fray our towns they burn our flocks and herds by force they drive away three days are scarcely past and gone since a ferocious band of wild freebooters from the north invaded cumberland through bruff the bold banditti sped rude rapine marked their course to orton and to dalston next for none could check their force as in their unresisted route before them all recoil and of our cattle and our corn they swept a mighty spoil to brave sir barnard's hall they marched which undefended lay and his fair daughter imogen they captive bore away alarm and horror loudly rang throughout the ravaged land for no collected force had we these ruffians to withstand at length the neighbouring barons heard enraged their powers they rose and forth their numerous vassals led their progress to oppose 
but when the northerns understood that cumbria's chieftains led an army forth to check their course to scotland back they sped by bowness bent their tardy march their plunder went before and fording through the solway soon regained the scottish shore nor long behind the english force in idle dalliance stayed but urged by fury and revenge with speed for scotland made nor long we vainly sought the foe who slowly onward wound and sore encumbered by their spoils had gained but little ground at our approach like base-born slaves their plunder they forsook nor far the cowards we pursued but all the spoil retook all save the lovely imogen who held by ruffian force a fierce freebooter screaming bore away upon his horse with love and vengeance doubly fired i urged by nimble steed and turning by a nearer path pursued them with all speed soon the bold ravisher i charged for by one deadly blow my falchion trenched his severed crest and lifeless laid him low half dead with horror and despair the rescued maid i bore triumphant to the place where late we had encamped before but how was i surprised and vexed to find our party gone and we amidst a hostile land unsuccored left alone the western sun o'er criffel's brow glanced his departing ray what should be done the foe was near and dangerous was delay unknown unaided and forlorn we left the fated place and back to cumbria by the route we went our way retrace but as athwart the moorland waste the way was ill to find with moss and quagmire interspersed i left my horse behind with phoebus last departing ray we forded through the sark but ere we well had passed the esk twas grown completely dark when quite bewildered in despair we traced the sandy coast and but for your directing light had certainly been lost but since your hospitable cell a kind asylum lends our future gratitude i hope shall make you full amends our home if heaven permit we may reach with to-morrow's light and imogen again shall glad an anxious father's sight but who art thou adventurous youth the reverend hermit cried what is thy lineage to what house art thou by birth allied for if from actions aught we may of pedigree divine thine would bespeak thee of a class above the vulgar line to whom young alfred courteous youth thus modest made reply of no distinguished high descent or family am i in fact my birth is quite obscure my origin is low that i the parents never knew to whom i being owe a father's kindness i ne'er felt nor shared a mother's fears for in sir barnard's hall i've lived from my most infant years alas my son the hermit cried how like my own thy fate but may it never be thy lot to know my wretched state for mine has been a life of woe eventful as severe for my nativity till now that you behold me here and since the ardent flame of love so plainly is displayed that in thy youthful bosom burns towards that beauteous maid 
perhaps my more than common tale to thee may useful prove and caution thee to shun those ills that spring from misplaced love though the recital may produce to memory new-born pain yet for your vantage will i tell my tale of woes again the hermit's tale canto two child of obscurity and doomed through life to feel distress my infancy commenced in woe nor age has suffered less as on a fair autumnal morn sir michael of the moor arose to join the cheerful chase he found me at his door within a wicker basket stowed and wrapped with curious care a medal pendants from my neck the name of edmund bear but none could tell who brought me there or guess from whence i came the only information left was barely of my name the night he took me to his hall and gave me to his wife and with a parent's fondness watched my helpless infant life nor in my education aught or pastime ever spared for i in common with his own each fond indulgence shared meanwhile brought up with fostering care to manhood fast i grew each manly art and exercise accustomed to pursue full fast full fleet without alloy my years of youthhood run for till fourteen had i supposed myself sir michael's son indeed his kindness and his care so taught me to believe and till the fatal truth i knew i ne'er had cause to grieve but when i luckless came to know the obscureness of my name my youthful ardour fled and left my cheeks suffused with shame in solitude i mourned my lot in silence sighed my woe and all from providence i sued was but myself to know with kindly care sir michael strove my sorrows to suppress and each amusing effort tried to soothe my sad distress a thousand arts to lull my grief my generous patron tried and where so o'er the baron went i still was by his side the brave sir guy de morville once so chanced it to befall my noble foster-father had invited to his hall as to promote my happiness seemed chiefly his intent so since the visit promised fair to bruff with him i went sir guy de morville was a knight of whom the world might say that england's realm a braver peer possessed not in his day the grandson of the brave sir hugh our second henry's friend by whom imperious becket met his just but tragic end near bruff his stately castle stood magnificent in show whose lofty towers defiance waved to each invading foe around his numerous vast domains extended widely lay for half of spacious cumberland confessed his mighty sway though far around his manners spread though hosts his subjects were his hospitality excelled his opulence by far with my indulgent patron here right courteously i fared and in the pleasures of the place an ample portion shared each kindly striving to remove the pressure of my thought whilst every new successive day new entertainments brought sometimes along the spacious march we chased the nimble deer or else in angling spent the day on eden's waters clear 
or sometimes with the baying hounds the neighbouring woods explore and from the sheltering thicket drive the fierce and bristly boar thus whilst at bruff each coming day brought scenes of fresh delight and balls and various modes of mirth concurred to cheer the night by these my wonted gloom appeared to be dispelled apace and gay hilarity and mirth established in its place i now had reached my eighteenth year and was by all confessed to be of an engaging mien and person too possessed but conscious of my birth obscure my views had stinted scope and timid diffidence repelled the very hand of hope it chanced one night the gay sagai an entertainment made for our amusement which comprised a ball and masquerade for many a lord and lady came in gallant garb and gay nor could carnarvon's court then boast of splendour more display the blithest airs the minstrels played the vaulted roofs resound with mirthful measures through the hall the dancers shift around the laugh the song their hearts felt joy full easy might betray nor discontinued were those sports until the dawn of day amongst the ladies that were there was one of graceful mien her noble stature and her air might well have graced a queen though love as yet had never played around my youthful heart yet now i made myself assured i felt its poignant dart the more i danced the more i talked with this engaging dame the more convinced was i my breast had caught the furious flame with dancing tired and warm with wine i pressed the lovely fair a while to leave the busy train and breathe the open air all yielding to my utmost wish she left the jocund throng and through the garden's fragrant walks well pleased we strolled along at length we reached a secret bower amid the thickening grove where we indulged in each excess of fond but lawless love with strange emotions back i led my charmer to the hall and with the jovial group resumed the pastimes of the ball but what confusion in my face must every eye have known had not my mask concealed the blush which conscience would have shown at length the rosy tinge of morn illumined the mountains heads the weary wantons quit their sports and yawning seek their beds i to my wonted chamber went but here i found no rest the mingled pangs of guilt and love so occupied my breast long ere the castle bell had rung my pillow i forsook and to the arbour in the grove a wistless saunter took in contemplation rapt profound my hapless fate i mourned whilst in my heart the torch of love with fiercer ardour burned should she the object of my love once come to know my state full well i knew that all my hopes in her must terminate my face assisted by my mask i carefully concealed certain with shame to have been repulsed if that had been revealed but then the cause that favoured me now added to my woe it hindered me from knowing her whom most i wished to know back to the castle i repaired and entered by the hall the company at breakfast sat i looked i noticed all but all in vain inquiry proved or passion made me blind 
for her the most for whom i sought her nowhere could i find but now the cruel fatal time for our departure come it followed that i must of course attend sir michael home with doleful heart and downcast eye i left the place behind while burning love and black despair united in my mind no lover ere before thought i thus cruelly was crossed to find a treasure and the same in finding to be lost for her in secret long i pined and search as useless made till time that conquers every ill that too at length allayed though ocean into mountains rise when tortured by the wind in time the conflict will subside so fares it with the mind sir michael's kindness to my cares the best of balsams proved and time compelled me to forget that i had ever loved full sixteen years i calmly passed in philosophic joy nor ere one incident occurred that quiet to annoy not but a thought of former times would sometimes fill my head but like a recollected dream soon these ideas fled about this time to lowther hall by old sir michael sent all gaily mounted and arrayed with lightsome heart i went through inglewood my journey lay a forest long and drear but clad in armour cap a pay my bosom felt no fear but ere i had proceeded far along the lonely course four villains from a thicket rushed and dragged me from my horse resistance little could avail all courage was in vain they robbed and stripped me of my clothes and left me in the lane unaided thus and closely bound sore bruised in sad dismay exposed amid the winter's storms beneath a hedge i lay when providence whose guardian eye still watches our distress sent lancelot of edenside my sufferings to redress assisted by his faithful train he raised me from the ground and with officious kindly care tied up each bleeding wound then raising me all deadly pale they placed me on a steed and armthwaite castle being near there carried me with speed here such attention was employed essential to my case that long i lingered not their care recovered me apace yet though their kindest efforts served my rankling pains to heal rescued from those i was but doomed severer pains to feel within the castle lived a maid unknown to public fame with every female beauty blessed and bertha was her name yet doubtful was the maid's descent her lineage so unknown that of her kindred no one knew unless the knight alone i saw fair bertha and the sight proved fatal to my rest i loved nor by each effort tried that love could be suppressed i saw i loved nor aught could soothe the fever of my soul nor time nor distance nor resolve the passion could control with time that conquers common cares i found the flame increase and absence render more acute the pains was meant to ease with ardent suit i wooed the fair i won her virgin heart she soon confessed her bosom bore with mine an equal part what joy the declaration gave no language can define 
and lovers only can conceive the transports that were mine sir lancelot i next addressed and each persuasion tried for his permission to espouse fair bertha as my bride with answers quite equivocal the knight my suit amused nor ever plainly gave consent nor perfectly refused tired with evasion fired with love i pressed the lovely fair to leave the castle and with me one common fortune share the yielding maid approved the plan and in the silent night to an adjacent church unseen we took our lonely flight the reverend father of the place soon tied the gordian knot and now i deemed fair bertha mine all happiness my lot next day the convents we forsook and furnished with a guide to my kind foster-father's hall i led my blushing bride the good old man approved my choice but blamed the rash event yet promised speedily to gain sir lancelot's consent but now twas needful to proceed on some new mode of life besides myself i had to care for a deserving wife nor stopped sir michael's kindness here in friendship ever warm for with a father's care for me he stocked a neighbouring farm to husbandry accustomed i each labour could pursue and though but young fair bertha she the arts of dairy knew here happy as the tuneful lark three joyous years i passed without one intervening care my happiness to blast man's chiefest blessing cheerful health in exercise i found and heaven propitious with success my various labours crowned amidst fatigue my bertha's smiles the tedious hours beguiled and ere our second year was past she blessed me with a child my happiness was now increased full lovely was the boy our equal cares the infant shared bestowing equal joy the hermit's tale continued canto three what are how transient and how vain is every human hope the real pleasures of this life have but a little scope uncertain of his future fate man does but little know nor fears misfortune mid success till fate extends the blow so twas with me the morn of life unclouded gaily passed the genial outset made me hope it might for ever last placed as i thought upon the top of fortune's giddy wheel i soon was destined by just heaven a sad reverse to feel it chanced upon a holiday by household business sent with cheerful and unheeding heart to fair carlisle i went when as i through the cloisters passed intent upon my way i heard a female call aloud who beckoned me to stay i turned aside towards the great that i her will might learn but as she wore the sacred veil her face could not discern i thought i recognised the voice but could not fancy where that languid seemed what i suppose the effect of pious care draw near the reverend matron said nor apprehensive be i have a question to propose which you must answer me were you not at de morville's hall some twenty years ago and knew you not a lady there now tell me ay or no like lightning bursting from a cloud the question shook my brain i humbly answered holy dame 
denial were in vain. Yes, I was there. Oh, heaven, that now I had it not to say. The pleasures of that night produced me many a painful day. Now mark me well, the lady cried, as truth I shall report, since fallacy I ween would ill with my profession sought. Twas I with whom that fatal night you wandered through the grove, "'Twas I with whom beneath the bower you held illicit love. "'So intimate as we had been, so fond the night before, "'I make no doubt you were surprised you ne'er beheld me more. "'But when the reasons you shall hear that caused this conduct strange, "'whate'er your opinions then must now for others change. "'The noise and tumult of the night had so deranged my head, "'a burning fever the next day confined me to my bed.' nor till a month elapsed or more had i my health regained and then but then alas to know new cause of grief remained my health restored from room to room impatiently i flew of all i eagerly inquired what had become of you but each research successless proved inquiry was the same since none of all our household train had ever learned your name in pensive melancholy rapt I spent a tedious year, nor tidings during all that time of you could ever hear. Worn out at length, with peevish spleen, with all the world at strife, I suddenly resolved to change my dissipated life, and the remainder of my days to dedicate to heaven, in hopes for faults and follies past, by prayer to be forgiven. With this resolve I left the world and sought this sacred place, and have, I hope, a part obtained of mercy and of grace. Full vicious was my former life, I own the shameful truth, yet penance hath, I hope, expunged the errors of my youth. Near twenty years within these walls of solitude I've dwelt, but ne'er in all my former life such real pleasure felt. But say, of all this lapse of time, where has your dwelling been? That from that hour I ne'er could see, who most I would have seen. Since that ill-fated night at Brough, how have you led your life? Have you a family? If so, pray tell me who's your wife? By accident I saw you pass, your form I thought I knew, and, as I long had wished, I now resolved to question you. For though secluded from the world, Howe'er the fault you blame, my heart still formed a vacant wish, at least to know your name. Dear object of each youthful hope, cried I, what would avail the recollection of those woes reviving in the tale? But since tis you that have required of me the painful task, it is but reason I recite what you've a right to ask. Betimes in the subsequent morn of that ill-fated night, I rose and sought, but sought in vain, my heart's my soul's delight. I asked of every one I met, unknowing whom I sought, enquiry quite successless proved, description served me naught. Your face, you well may recollect, I had not seen before, hid by the visor which that night, like all the rest, you wore. This naturally precluded me, whatever might ensue, or wheresoe'er we chanced to meet from ever knowing you. De Morville and his friendly hall, in deep disgust I left, the thoughts of you alone, my soul, of every joy bereft. Sunk in despair, a lingering year for you I sighed and pined, 
whilst night and day your fancied form is present to my mind at length the sad conflicting storm subsided by degrees my mind began to reassume its former wonted ease amusements now i sought amidst the circles of the gay in beauty's charms new transports found new pleasures in each day at length a female gained my heart though quite unknown to fame bred with a knight on eden side fair bertha was her name graced with each charm that heaven bestows i sought her for my wife and now three years with her i've lived the happiest in my life as for myself the humble truth i candidly shall own i am a foundling and of course my family unknown left with sir michael of the moor famed for his courtesy and edmund is the name they say my parents left with me whilst i my narrative concise in humble style pursued i mark strong agitation shook the lady as she stood while still suppressed the struggling groan did inward grief betray but when i came to close the tale she shrieked and swooned away the holy sisterhood alarmed to her assistance run and from the earth with kindly care they raised the fainting nun all motionless a while she lay as in the arms of death till kind restoratives applied recalled the fleeting breath thus life recovering to the train she said my friends retire since with this man an interview in secret i require it is essential to the peace of my departing soul which heaven now calls nor fate itself the summons can control the holy father abbot he our conference shall attend for i've important things to speak ere i shall make an end so said to their respective cells the female choir withdrew while i was introduced those seats of solitude to view a man with venerable mien the holy abbot came and both of us our stations took attendant on the dame upon a lowly couch she lay her face all pale and wan and gently raising up her head thus faltering she began good father oft my youthful crimes i have confessed to you but the amount of half my guilt till now i never knew unprecedented are my sins and of that damning kind that scarce a hope with me remains that i should mercy find thou edmund first of all my crimes with thee my guilt begun nay be not weak but hear me out to know thou art my son thy sire king edward was the first a prince of high renown to him i bore thee in my youth before he bore his crown when born i sent thee to be laid before st michael's gate but as the servant ne'er returned i never learnt thy fate for twenty more successive years my life i lewdly spent nor e'er of reformation thought on pleasure solely bent but ah that night that fatal night all my offences crowned the just reward of guilty lust in pregnancy i found ashamed for even vice has shame when it affects our pride i meant by sending off the babe my infamy to hide with old sir lancelot she lived brought up in rural life her name was bertha and my son that daughter is thy wife thy wife thy sister 
and thy child, all three combined in one, a double incest, guiltless thou, that guilt is mine alone. As when from some uncommon dream of horror and affright a person chances to awake amid the gloom of night, the dreadful recollected scenes so frightened fancy shake that for a while the dreamer doubts if yet he be awake. So twas with me, the wondrous tale which I but just had heard seemed so replete with horrid facts, so full of guilt appeared, that for a while, eventful whole, I wist not what to deem, but hoped this revelation strange might only prove a dream. But when the frightful narrative I ventured to review, from every fact I felt convinced the whole was but too true. Strange palpitation shook my heart, my brain seemed whirling round, and of reflection quite bereft I sunk upon the ground. Suspended life the abbot's care soon kindly did restore, and when I rose twas but to learn my mother was no more. Stung with the anguish I endured, and each sad event past, imploring mercy from above, she sadly breathed her last. Tears and the power of utterance came at length to my relief, and loud around the convent's walls re-echoed with my grief. The kind superior of the place, affected by my woe, by easy soft persuasion strove sweet comfort to bestow. At length the torrent of distress subsided by degrees, and slow the mind began to assume a sort of stupid ease. When thus I cried, there yet remains the hope to be forgiven, or how shall I acquitted stand before the throne of heaven? Labour, my son, the abbot cried, to lighten your distress, though great eternal justice be, still mercy is no less. Yourself unconscious of the crime, no wilful guilt was yours, and prayer and penance, when unfeigned, forgiveness still secures. Then cease unnecessary grief, attend the word of truth, and let amended age atone the follies of thy youth. But tell me, reverend sire, said I, what was that mother's name, to whom I owe my being, and to whom I owe my shame? Of her but little have I known, yet was that knowledge such, that little, little as it was, was far, by far too much. Thy mother, quoth the courteous priest, as fitly should be known, Sir Guy de Morville's sister was, a knight of high renown. In Inglewood the baron he a-hunting went of late, but, being tumbled from his horse, met an untimely fate. And as the knight intestate died, your mother, Lady Jane, succeeded by her legal right to all the vast domain. Of all the charters, deeds, and rights, I solely am possessed, and now to you the whole resign, such was her last request. For this her last injunction was in solemn charge to me, and these her last and dying words, my heir let Edmund be. Sick as I was of all the world, and stupid with my woe, of what avail was wealth to me, what joy could wealth bestow? I left the writings in his hands, with bonds upon record, that if the barony I claimed, the whole should be restored. My mother's funeral being o'er, I bade the choir adieu, 
and homeward hide with heavy hearts my anguish to renew my trouble yet was to be told my poor my guiltless wife and how must i perform the task who loved her as my life and yet the task must be performed such seemed the will of heaven or how could i my numerous crimes expect to have forgiven at length i reached my once loved cot the scene of soft delight now alas how sadly changed how dreadful to my sight unused to be deserted thus my bertha chid my stay and told how fearful she had been at this my long delay what could i do it must be done the dreadful tale i told i saw my bertha's face grow pale i felt her hand grow cold the dire intelligence seemed more than nature could sustain she wistful gazed me in the face but ne'er replied again her tongue all utterance had forsook her tears refused to flow and down she sank upon her couch convulsed in speechless woe a burning fever on the morn confined her to her bed and one short melancholy week beheld her with the dead the grave of bertha i bedewed with many a bitter tear but still the hand of destiny all cruel stopped not here for whilst attendant on her corpse i saw her to her tomb a band of fierce freebooters had been pillaging my home lifeless and weltering in his gore my trusty servant lay my child my last remaining hope the slaves had borne away quite maddened with my griefs i cursed the hour that gave me breath and nothing sought from heaven so much as for immediate death though yet but in the prime of life life seemed to engage no more i'd lost that heartfelt happiness time could never restore so in the busy walks of men resolved no more to dwell i left my house and lonely sought the solitary cell here seventeen lonely years i've passed in penitence and prayer and to alleviate others once hath ever been my care to read the lesson of my life unto a listening few that from example they might learn such mischiefs to eschew canto four now fair before my boding heart the youthful alfred cried some secret impulse whispers me that we must be allied tis just now seventeen years ago i've heard sir barnard say a band of furious ruffians came by plunder drawn our way the country round all flew to arms nor any idle stood the robbers fled sir bernard he with all his train pursued and ere they could repass the esk or took the encumbered foe who fled and all their booty left nor stood to strike a blow amongst the rest it was my lot on that eventful day to be retaken from the foe amongst their other prey but no one there could aught impart of whom or whence i came for i was then myself so young i scarce could lisp my name sir bernard brought me to his hall and bred me up with care where i with his own family a father's fondness share what is thy name the hermit cried for now methinks i trace some recollected features stand depicted in thy face when first sir bernard quoth the youth inquired my infant name i lisped out alfred and since that have still retained the same 
besides i learnt that at this time a mantle green i wore with edmund and with bertha marked which yet i keep in store for haply on some future day said i this may declare through some auspicious accident who my sad parents are come to my arms the hermit cried now are my wishes won thou art my alfred gracious heaven yes yes it is my son mysterious are the ways of fate with blind and futile man and yet the ways of providence shall he pretend to scan for when i thought in sorrow's course my life unchanged had passed kind heaven in mercy brings my son to comfort me at last yes yes my alfred with his care declining life shall bless this moment's pleasure would o'erpay an age of past distress but tell me alfred edmund said who's she that's by thy side her bashful diffidence bespeaks that she is not thy bride beware my son mistaken love avoid the dangerous snare and from a father's lesson learn his sorrows to beware the lovely imogen she blushed confusion tinged her cheek but bound in bashfulness the maid presumed not now to speak when alfred thus the reverend sage ingenuously addressed dear sire no foul impressions need be harboured in your breast for though in life's precarious ways an inexperienced youth yet what i've hitherto advanced is nothing but the truth the lady you behold with me is virtuous as she's fair and daughter to sir bernard is in fact his only heir i told you she was forced away by that unfeeling band and that i rescued and restored her by my single hand all this is true that i've declared for falsehood i despise till now a parent i ne'er knew then what should i disguise fair imogen tis true i love nor has the lovely dame regardless noticed my concern but felt a mutual flame though conscious of my state obscure my flame i long concealed nor till her kind approval gained that passion e'er revealed child of obscurity and want what madness should i prove had i a declaration made of my ambitious love but now a ray of brighter hope pervades my humble mind and fairer prospects crowd to view since i a father find with this avowal of his love ingenuous as i ween a deeper dye suffused the cheek of lovely imogene for though unconscious of the flame that preyed on alfred's heart her breast reciprocal had felt for him an equal smart thus either lover long had lived though equally unknown and but for accident that love they neither would have shown in him twas diffidence alone that could the flame conceal whilst modesty in her forbade the passion to reveal but say my son the hermit cried with all thy smothered love hast thou a hope sir bernard's heir that passion can approve a blush diffuses o'er her cheek that more bespeaks her heart than all the specious figures used in elocution's art say imogen if alfred were thine equal in estate could thou with good sir bernard's leave consent to be his mate confusion choked the beauteous maid she faltered to reply she loved young alfred far too well her passion to deny and yet by modesty withheld she scrupled to avow that love she knew not how to hide which showed most obvious now a happy omen edmund cried as happy prove the event 
thy speechless answer almost proves that silence gives consent if i must speak the maid replied and truth be forced to say your son hath not unpleasing been to me this many a day but little did i e'er suppose that thus his generous heart when mine was tortured with distress endured an equal smart all oh, gracious heaven the youth exclaimed what happiness is this sure mortals are not oft decreed to share an equal bliss which most my admiration claims which most should i approve in this i meet paternal care in that requited love no more my son old edmund said thy transports now suspend the night is far advanced and claims that we the subject end the thing most needful in my mind till morning i'll revolve and by that time expect to hear my purpose and resolve the rosy-fingered queen of morn had tinged the eastern skies ere morpheus had removed his seals from alfred's drowsy eyes all glittering on the craggy cliff the sun refulgent gleams while winding eden from below reflects the quivering beams when edmund hied him to the couch where alfred slumbering lay and roused him from his death-like sleep to hail the happy day then to the bower where sweetly slept fair imogen he goes and with a soft salute awakes the maid from her repose full gaily smiled the blushing rose full gaily bloomed the thorn but gayer still bloomed imogen upon this happy morn the new-born hopes the pleasing thoughts that thronged her lovely breast improved each charm and in her eyes that secret joy confessed whilst alfred more than doubly blessed her rising charm surveyed with all the ecstasy of love by mutual love repaid this common joy the sage himself seemed partially to share and by the present one awhile forgets his former care up to the summit of the cliff the youthful pair he led when far extended to the view the spacious landscape spread northward in azure mists involved the scotian mountains rise and southward cumbria's fertile plains salutes the gladdened eyes here to the east through fruitful vales the eden winds its way there to the west proud solway rolls impetuous to the sea here you may view the sweeping bark swift gliding o'er the main and there unnumbered flocks behold that graze upon the plain whilst to the left thy lofty towers Kerlulia may be seen and to the right in humble style the far-famed gretna green behold where yon embattled towers majestically rise whose lofty pinnacles appear enveloped with the skies that noble structure once confessed de morville for its lord and round him numerous vassals lived attendant on his word each by my mother's will to me the same obedience yields these castles and these towers are mine these forests and these fields but sickened said the good old man with sorrow as i've been what charms had affluence left for me who nought but woe had seen disgusted with the busy world its follies and its strife i sought for solitude resolved with heaven to pass my life the abbot of st mary's he has had since that event of all my temporal concerns the perfect management 
but since my loved my long-lost child my life revives in thee our worldly business must henceforth entirely altered be those castles and those wide domains so bootlessly made mine on marrying lovely imogen to thee i shall resign i make no doubt i soon shall gain sir bernard's free consent for cruelty it must be deemed your union to prevent what though if she an heiress be and he a baron brave thy portion shall be three times more than all that he can have the extensive barony at bruff is all at thy command with large domains in different parts of spacious cumberland where yon fair column proudly braves the insulting northern blast thy royal grandsire edward he inglorious breathed his last encamped upon that plain he died destruction his design ambition marked his life my son let virtue temper thine and now my children to carlisle with speed let us repair the father abbot shall assist in what is wanting there from thence the good sir bernard may with ease be advertised and of our coming and design be properly apprised for now it is my most ardent wish your nuptials soon to see which i propose ere i return there solemnized shall be then to their roots with joyous hearts set out the happy train along the river's verdant side and soon the abbey gain a courier soon sir bernard brought who came well pleased to learn that imogen had rescued been and was on her return nor had the fair occasion long to sue for his consent sir bernard was too fond by far their union to prevent rejoiced he gave his imogen to be young alfred's bride and by the reverend abbot soon the gordian knot was tied next morning to de morville's hall the party took their way nor e'er had bruff beheld before a scene so grand so gay rejoicings for a month at least on this occasion were and at their table rich and poor most liberally did share the sports concluded and the guests sped each his different way kind alfred sorely importuned his hapless sire to stay but all entreaties were in vain though each his utmost tried to tempt the solitary sire with alfred to reside tenacious of his lonely life he sought his humble cell resolved as he to heaven had vowed in solitude to dwell but as the distance was but small he now and then would stray to bruff and with his children there enjoy a happy day while alfred and his imogen with every comfort crowned lived long were happy and esteemed by all the country round end of part one